0: Welcome to Money Conversations with KJ. KJ is a lifelong entrepreneur who's made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and found his way back again. If you're looking for a sterile how-to, you're in the wrong place. KJ and his guests will walk you through real-life situations told by the people who live them, and they are as messy as they are inspiring. Each episode will offer lessons learned, advice on how to replicate successes and avoid pitfalls, and a new perspective to power your financial literacy. Far from a one-size-fits-all, this podcast can help you build a roadmap to your personal promised land, milk and honey for some, whiskey and steak for others, and remind you that you're not alone on this journey.
1: Well, welcome everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host KJ. I have I have a guest here that I've been really excited. We talked about this, I don't know, 4 or 5 6 weeks ago about about bringing him on and he's here today and I I'm really excited because I know as most of my guests, part of the story, but not all the story But I think the value that this gentleman is going to bring to the table today is his experience, what he did for most of his life as a living, right? What he did for a living. And then I know he's also a Dave Ramsey graduate. So we're going to get a lot of good perspective. But uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Kelly. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you.
1: Great. Uh, You know, Steve, let's start with your story before we start. I think we're going to do a lot more educating today to the folks out there, which is why they listen, right? They want to hear all of our different stories that, that how we live our lives. And we're going to get into that, but let's just start in your story first, which my first question generally with most people is as far back as you can remember, that is what, how what age do you think you were when your mom and dad sat you down and taught you about money? Never, never, not one lesson. No.
0: Well, and to be fair, there wasn't a whole lot of money in the house to talk
1: about, but still money lessons
0: well yeah I mean i, I, and, I and I've shared this with you a little bit, but i'll I'll dive a little deeper um, grew up pretty poor, and then in uh probably the early seventies, uh, my dad had an opportunity to pick up a gas station franchise in northern Illinois. And in like 73, 74, 75, mm-hmm. he was making 65, 70 grand a year, Okay, which back then that was a That's a good buttload living. buttload of money. Yeah. And then the gas crisis hit. Yes. And for those of us who are old enough to remember that, I was the kid standing at the back of the line with the sign that said, no more gas. Oh, Yeah. And getting guns pulled on me and people yelling at me and people trying to cut in line and run me over. Shoot the messenger. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Consequently, as a result of all that, we lost that gas station and went back to dirt poor. Okay. Um, So there wasn't a whole lot of, of money conversation because I don't know that my parents really knew what to do with the money they had when they had it. Right. And then when they didn't have it, there was nothing to do.
1: Well, you know, I talk with a lot of folks mm-hmm. and it seems that our money habits as we get older, right? And you and I are basically the same age that when we don't have particular money lessons, when we're young, right. That we end up emulating mom and dad because we only know what we can see and hear. Sure. So if you're in a family of poverty, struggling right. To just barely keep food in the, on the table and roof over your head and the best the basics of life, right. We develop these mindsets, right. And so for you, can you remember as you were getting at whatever age you share with me, what that might be when you started to figure out the money game in, in the terms of, I need to make money for the things that I want, right. How old do you think you were as a child, as a kid, when, when you kind of, I mean, you recognize obviously where the family was financially, but you know, if, how far back are you, are you remembering five, six years old or older?
0: Oh, I can remember all the way back to kindergarten and maybe even before. Right. Um, but probably when I first started putting money thoughts together, I was in high school. Okay. Uh, and, and I think the biggest thing was, um, uh, my, my, the, the gentleman who raised me, I call him my father. He was actually a stepdad, um, a good man. But what I found him doing because money was so tight and he wanted to spend money on certain things is he started hiding it from my mom mm-hmm. and we would take a weekend and go fishing and he'd pick up a new rod, a new something or other. And it was like, Shh, don't tell mom about this. This is our secret. And I think somewhere inside I knew that wasn't right. Okay. And I, it caused me to want to do two things. Number one, I wanted to have the financial resources to do those things and not have to worry about it, and to not feel I had to keep it from my wife because because I don't have secrets from her at all. Never have, never will. Um, and and I don't have a relationship where if I want to go spend money or she wants to go spend money, we talk about it. You know, we have this rule: if you want to spend more than a hundred dollars, hundred and fifty, we're going to talk about it. But there's never going to be, I shouldn't say never, it's an awful long time. It's not going to be a situation where I'm going to be told no by her or she's going to be told no by me unless there's a really valid reason. I'm not going to pull money out of the savings account to go buy a new ottoman for the family room. right? We're going to save that 200 400 600 whatever it is, and we're going to make that purchase. I'm not going
1: to tell her no, I'm going to tell her not now. So that came from that young age when you saw your dad doing that, right? Correct. And I think we can both agree that was kind of normal back then, right? Because you can see that in movies, right? The the coffee can, so to speak, right? Like you could, typically it was mom doing it though, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe dad, dad, dads were typically more of the spenders and you would see mom putting a stash away, right? And and I just distinctly remember in movies, they, they, kind of you know, simulated that. So I don't think that was abnormal by any means. I, I wouldn't venture to say a lot of the folks that are listening go, Hey, yeah, my mom, dad did that, or my dad did that also. Right. And so that was something that you told yourself, I'm not going to do that. I'm going right. to be above board with my spouse and what we're doing with our money, but let's, let's, let's not jump that far ahead just yet. So as you watch your dad do that, And that created that mindset. And then when you started to actually, again, you were saying it was around high school that you started to put, you know, two and two together about money. Um, how, how deep did you get about learning? What did you do to learn? I mean, was it some classes in school? Was it, uh, your, you know, your stepfather, as you say, or was it somebody else that kind of got your wheel spinning about it? It took forever. Um, because as you said before, uh,
0: how is it? I, I think Rachel Cruz, part of the Ramsey team says more is caught than taught. And I was a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. I, I learned by watching and I didn't realize I didn't have the tools. It's sort of the, you, you don't know what you don't know until you know, you don't know it. Exactly. Um, and I can remember going to college. I, I, I got my bachelor's degree in management came out of college and went through a couple of, of, jobs and then got into the insurance business. And the company I worked for at the time was an insurance and financial company. And they eventually wanted, I, I got into management agency management, and they wanted us to get uh, further degrees and certifications, certifications, and whatnot. So I had to take all the classes to become a certified financial planner I had to take all the classes to become a registered investment advisor. I I took a bunch more classes and courses to get all the little letters after my name. Mm -hmm. I got a master's degree in financial services. Um, And I still didn't understand personal finance.
1: That's that's really, you're probably the fourth or fifth person in the last, I'm going to say eight years that I've talked to that was actually in the industry. It's almost, I'd like to put together and you've probably heard this. I don't know how, because we're the same age, but other people like the shoemaker has the worst shoes. Yep. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's not that because so some people may believe because you got all those accolades and certifications that you should be an expert with money. Right. And the reality of it is being an expert with money in my opinion, is a mindset and the habits that you create for yourself. And we're all different, again, from your background where you described growing up, you know, in poverty with the family. Well, what drove you? So in high school, did something drive you because of the poverty when you were young that I want to go down this road of financial education and learn how to deal and learn how to... Um,
0: I don't think it them? drove the financial education. I, I think it just drove the desire to do better. Okay. The desire to have more than, than my parents had, uh, to be a better provider than my parents were. Oh,
1: that was the motivating factor That
0: There was, you go. I, I mean, if, if, if I could back up just a second, um, after my dad lost the, 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 the gas station franchise, we spent a number of years, we lived on a farm. We didn't farm, but we lived on a 600 acre farm. And for probably three or four years, if we didn't grow it in a garden, shoot it in the woods, catch it in a lake, or barter with another farmer, we didn't eat it. Wow. And we paid for Christmas presents. I'm probably going to turn off a lot of (laughs) listeners here. My, My father and I ran a trap line, and we trapped muskrat, mink, fox, and raccoon during the winter. And we would skin, stretch, and, and dry those hides. And then in early December, we would go down to the furrier and sell them. They would have a, a weekend where tons of people would show up, and they would grade all the furs and go through and give you money for them. And
1: that's how we paid for Christmas for the family. Wow. For four years. So this is in the 70s. Yes. This is before PETA and in how people feel about that in today's world. I don't even know if that's even legal today, is it?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: People are still doing it. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, guys, we have to do what we have to do to survive.
0: Well, and, and a lot of what we did, you know, like the raccoons, this was in northern Illinois, and there are a lot of golf courses and a lot of high-end golf courses. Right. Muskrats wreak havoc right. on the greens mm-hmm. when there's water around them, and raccoons wreak havoc with, wreaks, wreak havoc with the outbuildings. Because they literally get up on the roof and rip a hole in the roof to get in there to get at warmth and food. Wow! And we would be called by these golf courses to go in and take care
1: of these problems for them. You were solving a problem in sure. their eyes. They were rodents. Yes, they weren't these beautiful furry animals. They were rodents wreaking havoc on their on their property. So again, I always that's what I love about hearing stories and and how and why people end up financially where they are. Right not to say that we can't change because your whole motivation of change was because you were in the poverty. And, and if you could, I I would say the majority, not all, but the majority of people grow up with not a lot of means, you know what I mean? And so then we aspire to want to do better than what we had and give our families, right. As you start to have family, you know, want to give my child more, I want to live a better life type of thing. So let's, let's get into, you you finish college you have your accolades you're in the industry but you're still again if we talk about the shoemaker not having the best shoes what did that do for you financially when when did you start to feel more comfortable with your finances because you learned it or because you were uh playing the game correctly
0: i i think because i learned it um Again, I, 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 I had all the classes and I had all the designations and all the alphabet after my name, um, but it wasn't truly until, and, and, and I had a good understanding, but it wasn't truly until um, about 12 years ago when I decided to get out of the business, I sold my, my agency and I started looking at my children. And what did I teach them and how are they going to be? Because at that point, they were just starting to get married and thinking about having kids and those sorts of things. And I realized that I was the father who tried to teach my, I'll use my daughter as a perfect example. When she was 16, I wanted to teach her about money. Mm -hmm. So I gave her an American Express gold card. Oh. Boy, if I can Man. give you any advice <laughs> at all. You don't give an American Express gold card to a 16-year-old girl. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Um, so I realized the mistakes that I made, and I started searching for something that I could use to teach them. And years before, I had been a Larry Burkett fan and had completely forgotten all about it. I had done his envelope system years before and all that stuff and in doing a search on the internet i came across dave
1: ramsey and i went hmm didn't know who he was So let's pause there for a minute because i really want to unpack this it was a point in your life you did you got your you, you know received your education but there was still a point in your life and this is later this sounds like you're in your 30s Oh, no, I was 50, 50 that. Well, when you start to teach your kids, no, I wasn't quite 50. I was in my late forties, late forties that you reflected on it. Right. And so then you got what I call proactive about, let me dig deeper. I know the rules of the game, but I don't know how to play the game. It's like, let's say, well, Monday morning quarterback, right? We watch football and we understand, I would say the average layman understands 50% of really the rules of football. We enjoy watching it. And sure. the sportsmanship and all that, but we're not expert football people, right? We're just. But you, you have these, you know, armchair coaches out there, you know, watching the ball game kind of thing. So that's kind of sounds to me that's where you were. I, I
0: think what it was was I realized that while we had had discussions with the children, that that two things. Number one, I I had made a good living for a lot of years, and I I always felt that. Money should not be something we talk about.
1: Why? Where, where did this come from, do you think?
0: I don't have a clue. My sister's the same way. So it had to have been something that we had been raised
1: with. I have a theory. Okay. My theory is there are certain conversations, whether we're having them with our kids slash family or anybody, that are, I'll use the word taboo, which is money and sex, right? They're difficult conversations, To have, and I find that people have a hard time talking about money for two reasons. You have it or you don't have it. For the people who don't have it, you don't want to talk about it because you don't have it and they're embarrassed. I'm not doing the right things with my money. I don't have it. So I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about my, my miscomings with money or the opposite. I have money. I don't want to talk about it because you may ask me how much I have and you're going to want to borrow some and I don't want to lend you any. You know what I mean? So I think that's the reasons why a lot of folks don't want to talk about it is why I love talking about it because I think we can talk about money, right? You and I can talk about money and how it works and how it plays out. Although like this conversation and all of my podcasts, we're never going to know. I'm not going to ask you how much money do you have in the bank today? How much money did you spend last week on wants instead of needs, right? I'm never going to ask those questions to the people. I just want to know why are you doing the things you do with your money? Right. It's all this is all psychological because I really believe it's all in our heads why we do what we do with money. Right. So you learned about money, yet you weren't really treating it the way at thirty years of age, the way you treat it at sixty years of age.
0: Well, for me it 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 came down to realizing that while I might have had the conversations with my children to tell them what to do, Mm -hmm. I never told them how. Ah. And I think that's what I was looking for. And when I found um, Dave's planned financial peace university and I did some research and I thought this is it. it. It it's not perfect. Right. Um, And I think there's some room for some difference of opinions on a couple of things, mm-hmm. but by and large, I think for 99% of the people out there, it's a great program. Yep. So what I did is I found a, a class at my local church. I signed my wife and I up for it. And trust me, she didn't want to go. <laughs> I told her why. I then bought an instructor kit for myself to go through the class. And I bought a kit for each of my children and their spouses. And I called them up. And we at that time, we were doing S- Sunday dinners every every week. And I said, here's a deal. I'm going to take this class. My class is on Thursday. That next Sunday, we're going to sit down as a family and whatever I went through that week before, because it's a nine week course, mm-hmm. whatever I went through that week before, we're gonna do it at home before dinner.
1: If you wanna have dinner, you gotta sit through the course. And what was the feedback on that? A little pushback or
0: uh, and I bought them all a kit, so they all had the the materials. I wasn't copying anything. I, I
1: I tried to do it right. Right. And the first week they're like, Oh my God, I have to do this. Well, you you can agree. Finance talk is Like watching paint dry, right? It's not an exciting, thrilling thing.
0: Absolutely. But I can tell you, we went through that first class. And the second class, they came back a little more enthusiastic. And the third class, what I noticed was my son's wife, and and not not necessarily my kids, but their their significant others, came with notes of questions from what they'd read and what they and and, you sparked, and they you were sparked absolutely, in. and they were all in. And I can tell you this: I I believe, in 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 my heart and soul, that each of my three children are going to retire as multimillionaires because great.
1: of it. Right. So you were proactive. Had you not done that, I'm sure you're. You know, most people are okay in life, not great, but like you said, they'll be millionaires because they put money to work. Right. They've they've understand how compounding works in their favor which is time and so when you did this how old were they roughly
0: um my my oldest would have been about 30 not quite 30 late 20s okay okay and then my youngest would have been probably 23 24 22 somewhere in there
1: which gives them a good 30 years a little more to mm-hmm. compound money right right
0: and i think what it taught them more than anything i gave them the the what to do things mm mm-hmm. And The biggest what to do was learn to sacrifice. You talk about it a lot. Live below your means. Right. If you earn a hundred dollars, live on eighty. Live on eighty-five. And that's what we don't do in this country,
1: right? If no, we, we don't. If I we mean, make a
0: hundred, we spend hundred and
1: two. I try to teach people, you know, the wants and needs lesson, right? Because we all live more in the wants world than we do the needs world, and we don't realize what we're doing until down the road. And, and I, there's nothing more valuable than our time, right? We're only here on this planet for so long and we want to enjoy the whole time we're on the planet, not just the end years, right? People used to call it the golden years. I don't even know why they called it that, right? Because one of the questions I, I ask people, are, Hey, what age is retirement? And what do you think they tell me? 62 or 65, which is, if you think about it absurd. Yep. Why do you, why does it have to have an age on it? It doesn't right? And and there's a few, there's a few examples that I can use about that. It's not age, right? Because if retirement means what, right? Does it mean that you have plenty of money now? Is that what retirement means? Does retirement mean I have no money, but I have time, right? So we ultimately want both time and money. But if you look at someone, some of these people that I'll just call them wizards, um, a Mark Zuckerberg, right? Who created Facebook in the mid twenties, right? and literally became a billionaire before the age of 30. Like this guy could have walked off into the sunset with his money and just done whatever he wanted. But his passion was what he does, right? He created something that has evolved and still evolves today, right? He's always evolving in that thing. So it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the money at all. But I think when society puts in our people's minds that retirement's an age, Then when I ask people that are in their early 20s, so to speak, uh, have you thought about retirement? No. Why? I'm 23. Why do I need to worry about retirement? That's way down the road. Is that a a mistake? Yeah.
0: Um, Number one question I used to ask people back in my previous life was, you know, what does retirement look like to you? I would never say, when do you want to retire? I would say, what does retirement look like to you? Well, I'm going to retire when I'm 65. Or, I want to retire when I'm 55. They'd always have a, a, an, age, they have to an it. age. And I'm like, that's, that's not what I'm asking. When you retire, what does your day to day life look like? What do you want to do? Do you want to travel? Do you want to sit on the back porch and watch grandkids? Do you want to train dogs? Do you want to go hunting, fishing? What does it look like to you? And they would go, oh, I've never thought about that.
1: Right. Right. And I love the one. And, and I think a lot of people, a high percentage of people are going to say, I want to travel. And I say, great. Where do you want to go? And usually they'll pick some you know, Italy or wherever, somewhere on the other side of the pond, so to speak. Great. Have you ever broke it down what it would take for you to go spend a week or two weeks in Rome or wherever it is that you want to go? No. Well, then how do you know how much it's going to, you know, cost you to go do that? And if it's dollar X, whatever this dollar amount is, let's just for example sake, say it's $10,000. Well, how much do you need to put away on either a weekly or every time you get paid or monthly basis to reach that goal. That's just a goal that you want to go do that, right? Have that experience, so to speak. But people don't break it down. And if you don't know that number and you can't set that goal, guess what? You're never going to go.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, you know, one of the things I used to always talk with, with my younger clients was you have to have those goals. You have to have that vision, but you also have to realize that that vision is probably going to change. It's sort of like when you're 30 years old and you finally buy your forever home. It ain't. It ain't forever. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I bought our forever home seven years ago. We built a little
1: house and we're realizing that
0: it probably is not. Right. You
1: know, and I had that conversation yesterday. I got these clients that are in the military, just moved here to Vegas and and it's their first home and they've been married. They're newlyweds. I they haven't even been a year yet in there and we're looking at homes and I asked them that question. I go, well, let's talk about how long you're going to live here because this is going to determine what we should be buying because You don't believe it's your forever home. No, because they're not from Vegas. They're not likely to live here the rest of their lives kind of a thing. I go, then this is an investment. So let's make decisions based on, you tell me it's five to seven years. In five to seven years, that you're going to get a good ROI on this investment. So let's not just be totally emotional about the decision. Let's make this an investment decision. And it totally changed their mind of looking at it that way, right? Because your first home, in your mind, you might think that. This is my forever home. And here you're stating at the age a little over 60, like, this is probably not my, I'm going to, because I think you probably outgrew the home you're in.
0: I don't think we've outgrown it so much as we realize that there are things we would like to have in the home that we don't have. Hmm. And I don't know that we'll ever move this. We may be here forever. We, We certainly don't have to. It's a great home. But there are some things we'd like to have. Right. Um, I mean, let's face it, we may not be in Vegas 10 years from now. Right. We'll probably stay here until our grandkids are done with us. <laughs> uh-huh. When they're old enough, they don't want us around anymore, then we'll move.
1: Well, I think the point is we all don't know our future path for sure. Amen. We can, We can think that we want to know, but really you don't want to know. It's like knowing if you knew the day you died, would you want to know that? No, no, we don't want to know that because the time that now that that time clock just starts ticking and you're like, holy crap, I'm dying next Tuesday. And I didn't do everything I wanted to do. Right. So we don't know that we don't want to know that date. We don't want to know, is this our forever home? We just don't want to know those things. We're going to live our lives the best we can to be as comfortable as what makes us like, I always tell people figure out your number, right? Because, your number is your number. There is no one size fits all in this game of money. We're all different people. Some people aspire to be a billionaire and don't realize the responsibility it comes. The more money you have, the more responsibility it takes to, to keep it. Sure. A lot more is responsibility. And I think if if you've never had it and you're over 50 years old, you would struggle to have it.
0: Well, you, you, you said something that is so to the point. Mm-hmm. Retirement is not an age. It's not a mindset. It's a number. Mm. And you have to go through the exercises of figuring out what is, what does retirement look like to you? What do you want to do and what's it going to take? And if that number is 600,000, 1.2 million, four and a half million, whatever that number is for you based on how you want to live your lifestyle, that's your number. When you hit that, then you're, then you can make a decision. Do I want to retire?
1: Do I want to keep working? Right. Do I want to keep going now on the other end of the spectrum of what Zuckerberg did? If we look at someone like a Warren Buffett, he is approaching 90. This guy still goes to work every day. Mm -hmm. Does he need to go to work every day? He hasn't needed to go to work for a while, a long time. So for him, it's the fun. It's fun for him. It's a game, right? And it's just a matter of, especially in today's world game, there's gamers. There's people that make a living gaming, right? Right. I had a project a few months back on a, a home that was worth around $2 bucks, And I always talk to my clients, oh, what do you do for a living kind of thing? And he's like, I'm a gamer. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm a gamer. I play games all day long. I'm like, Sir, really? So this guy plays enough. He's got talent. He has the talent that he became a full-time gamer and makes a very good income at it. Is it sustainable? I don't know. Time will tell, right? right. And that's the other thing that I find people is, I don't think very few people will do the same thing their whole lives. We're all going to change. You were in your industry for sounds like about 25, 30 20, years, 25 ish years. Yeah. Right. And then you got out of that. And and a lot of people do, right? So there isn't whatever you decide that you want to do and you're 20, whatever, and you're going to college or you're learning whatever you're learning. Don't think that that's what you're going to be doing 40 years later. And so when you ask these, these questions to folks about what's retirement mean to you? Well, what it means on that particular time in your life at 22, 30, 40, whatever age you are, you can bet assured that that's going to change. I think we're creatures of, I want more. And when you achieve the goal of use a number of 600,000, let's say someone reached that pinnacle of 600,000 at age 45. Like, well, I want more because I want the bigger house. I want the nicer car. I want to go on more vacations. I like doing what I'm doing. I'm still earning. I'm not going to stop earning because I because 15 or 20 years ago, 600 was my number, right? Mm-hmm. Your number's going to always move and I and I want people to understand that wherever you are today, whether it's poverty or I'm doing okay, whatever that is, it's going to change.
0: Well, yeah, and and, and the other thing that that can happen is if you're diligent and you plan properly, and you hit that 600,000, if that's your number, at an early age of, say, 45, you now have options. Yes. You can keep earning, and rather than doing what you've been doing, you might go do something that you love. Because you may not love what you're doing, but it, it, it's a good earning. Or there may be something that you know you, you enjoy what you're doing, but it's not your passion. And when we have those options and we and we can go do our passion, we might earn more money doing that because we love it so much.
1: That, that, that springs a thought on me and we see commercials do this now, the ones that are the financial commercials, oh, you're retired. Now you get to go, you know, your passion is fishing or whatever it may be. You get to go do that now, right? Where if we think back when we were young, say in the seventies growing up, that side hustle wasn't really a word. No one talked about that. You could go get a second job, right? (laughs) And, and I'm sure plenty of people out there have second jobs, and I and I like to teach people the difference today between a second job and a side hustle. And that sometimes in today's world, I'm seeing that okay, they've got their job because they're supporting a family or their lifestyle, whatever it is. But all of a sudden, I'm going to start the side hustle because it looks fun, kind of right. I, I think I can enjoy doing that, and then their side hustle replaces their job, right? But you can agree that. The youth today, and I'll say anybody under 35, has opportunities that you and I never had. Absolutely. The internet, right? And the internet makes millionaires on a daily basis, lots of them. And there's when there was definitely not a chance when you and I were 16 that a 16-year-old was making hundreds of thousands a month. No. That was never going to happen. And in today's world, every day. Every day it happens because of the internet. So I think it's changed the mindset of people. I know there's big talk on our education system and how it's working now. And I'm I'm a very forward thinker. I put myself, this is 2023. If I were to live long enough, say 40 years from now, that would put me at 100. So not likely to happen. But let's just say at 100, I would reflect and look back and I could see the educational system, why it changed because of the internet and how people are learning different things on the internet, these side hustles, all these different things. Chat GPT just came out, right? Have you had a chance to look into that at all? I have not. It's unbelievable. It's a game changer for sure. And it's, it's infancy. It's, it's, it's a total game changer and education is vital on for everything that we're going to do in life, right? What are we going to learn? We're going to, we want to learn how to be a butcher. We want to learn how to be a carpenter, whatever. We got to go learn it somewhere, it doesn't, the, the information doesn't pop into our heads. We must learn it, right? You transition to what you do today for what you did for 25 years. These so are opposite ends of the spectrum. But you just, you said earlier how that was your passion. You love to work with wood. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so you found a way, hey, I can still make an income doing what I love to do. And Steve's a handyman, right? I don't think I stated that. And There's, I don't know, there's got to be a million handymen in the country right now. Yep. Right. People who lost their jobs, who have skill sets that they developed from, however, from from dad or whatever they did, you know, shop in high school or something. And out there making pretty good livings at it.
0: I make more money now probably than I did before.
1: And But people would look at your previous career as, how would you describe if someone looked and said, wait a minute, that guy had the, all the, the masters, the college degrees, doing a corporate-type job, but, but now he's a handyman. And the stigma are opposite also, would you agree? Like, like you downgraded. You know, here's the thing. But you didn't downgrade.
0: I didn't. And, and, and I can tell you this. In In my former career, whether I was helping someone with their home insurance policy or their retirement planning, or doing an estate plan to make sure that the family business or farm or whatever would pass to future generations the way they wanted it to. I am more respected today because I can come in and fix a leaky faucet or track down an electrical problem or whatever the case may be. I am more respected today than I ever was as their financial advisor.
1: Well, because whether they, I think that when you were, That's a problem when you solve someone's financial problem. That's a good thing. It doesn't appear to be as important as this damn faucet's been leaking for three weeks. (laughs) And now I have the money to call someone to come in here and fix it. And I love this guy. He fixed my faucet.
0: Yep. And, And I think to a certain degree, people look at you when you're coming in to talk to them about money or insurance or whatever the case may be with a certain amount of skepticism. And they think you're coming there to screw them. Right. Just a little bit. You're coming. I mean, I may be coming in to talk about how you want to allocate your 401k. I'm not going to make a dime off of it, but there's still skepticism in there because what's his game? What's he right. trying to do here?
1: So, and and I don't have that. When I walk into someone's house now. You're solving a problem. Absolutely. You're and, solving a problem. And, and, you know, it's financially, when we talk to people, we talked earlier that uh, a lot of people are nervous to talk about money right? Yep. Because they think they're, you're trying to take their money somehow, some way yep. you're, you're weaseling your way in, he's going to get some of my money and we, everybody works hard for their money. So well, maybe not everybody, but most people, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, when you love what you do, like you do now, uh, and you make good money at it, you don't feel like you're robbing someone. You're giving good value. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I mean, I give good value when I help people buy or sell a home. When I flip a home and I'm you know, I've got one in contract. Now I sold that latest one and people just love what I did over there. That's good value. People appreciate what I've done over there. So I think when, but, but do you believe that it's more, more people should have money conversations without getting into details of what that, whoever they're talking to about their particular money? Like, Hey, you're wealthy. How'd you do it? What are you doing?
0: Well, sure. It's just like if, if, um, if if I decided I wanted to get in shape and have a six pack again, who am I going to ask? You're going to call an expert. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go to the guy that's got a keg instead of a six pack. Right. I'm going to go to someone who's done it and continues to do it. Um, and I and I think we you know we, we miss the opportunity. Sometime I think Warren Buffett is the guy who, um, once a year he has he sells a
1: lunch with Warren basically. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. People pay tons of money for that. People pay a million dollars
1: to have lunch with that guy because it's worth it. It is what he can, what he can share with you, the value he can share with you in an hour could take some people a lifetime to learn. Mm -hmm. Right. I personally know of a guy that did spent the money. I think he spent 600, which is a boatload of money. Ultimately uh, today, his net worth is probably a hundred million dollars, right? Because he, he shares because of that lunch with Lauren, with Warren, right? The things he shared with him on what this guy was getting ready to do in business, you know, and, and the story ends up now that this guy's worth a hundred million bucks. So, yeah, but that's everything in life. We can take that all the way down to the financial advisor who's going to make, you know, some of these guys are going to, yeah, they're they're, they're going to help you, but they got to get paid too. Sure.
0: So, so I think if if we could educate ourselves, and I think it's it, it should start in high school, there should be classes in high school that teach good, solid personal finance. Why do you think there isn't? I don't think anybody knows how to do it. I mean, I know Dave Ramsey's got a, a high school curriculum that is really, really good. I've actually taught it a little bit, um, not in the setting he wants it because he wants it in high schools, but it's in like half the high schools in the country. But if we could teach people that, and then when they grow up, they teach their kids, and they still have it in high school, I think we change everything. But you asked the question, why do you think we don't we don't do it? I I think it's because we have this um, this mentality that we want it all now. And so we want to, we want to consume everything we make. And if that education goes contrary to that desire, we, I don't think we ignore
1: it so much as we just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm going to share my opinion on it. Okay. Which is, It's kind of ironic. The curriculum at school is dictated first by the state, and then the government also wants to throw their two cents in. And they mandate for kids to learn certain subjects. And why they wouldn't want to mandate why we learn financial literacy, I've just felt that in the early 1900s, when you were going to school, like let's say, let's pick a year, 1905, right? Right. People were mainly living on farms. Kids at the age of six would work their farm, and a lot of them. That's just how they would finish life. They're, they're not, they don't even go to school. But then they schools came about. Schools started in the late eighteen hundreds. Classroom setting school as we understand them today. When Henry Ford developed the assembly line was a game changer. Sure, right because he was able to put people to work. And I think the mindset of state slash government was. We need worker, I call it worker bees. Not everybody can be a business owner. Not everybody can be a farmer. A farmer's, owning a farm is a business, right? Absolutely. Whatever you were doing at your farm, whether you're growing you know, wheat or whatever, or farming pigs or whatever, it was a business. You were selling stuff that you were farming. And as time goes by, I think it was not in their best interest to teach people really how to play the money game. Although it's not against the law to be proactive about it. And so for the folks who like got real hungry, not literally hungry, but hungry for money and hungry for wealth and status, they really studied the game, right? The stock market got developed. People are in there learning how to go put money in there. And so today I'd like to say in today's world, as we've evolved to where we're at today, I think it's the responsibility of all of us to learn the object of the game is to make money, make money. You and I cannot nor do we want to work our whole lives, right? It should be our choice. Sure. But for too many people out there, they're literally working until they die. Like Warren Buffett says, if you don't learn how to make money while you sleep, you'll work till you die. And the only reason you make money while you're sleeping, because your money's working. You've invested.
0: Sure. What's the old line? There's only two ways to make money, men at work and money at work.
1: Yeah. Pick one. And, And money makes more money. Money makes more money than you and I can ever make it. there's only 24 hours in a day and we're obviously not working 24 hours a day. Right. We don't want to, and we have other things that we want to do. But I think the concept of people who know nothing about money, that doesn't even equate in their minds to put money to work because one, you'll use the word investing. You must invest and it scares people. How many tables did you sit at where, well, we need to start investing 15% of your money. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean? Because there's no guarantee on any investment. And you know, as a professional, you can't use that word. I like to teach people, if someone came to you and says, oh, I guarantee you're going to make money on this, whatever tip that they're giving you, right? You got to run the other way. Absolutely. You got to run the other way. You cannot, if any, they're getting ready to scam you. They're getting ready to take your money. So people are scared, fear, fear of loss that I'm going to lose money if I invest it over here. Not understanding it's a long game. Because yes, money, when we invest money, it goes up and down. But over a long time, like you could look at the S&P 500 over 75 years or whatever, and you know, it's made money over 75 years. It hasn't lost. Does it lose in between? Sure. Sure. It was down this week, 3% or whatever, but people are scared. How do we get them over that hump of not having the fear, but understanding that putting your money to work is a good thing. How do we get them over that hump?
0: I don't know. That's a tough one. And I, I've dealt, I dealt with it for half or a quarter century. Um,
1: Is that the hardest part of your job when you were doing it?
0: It it was the hardest part was recognizing that everybody has a different risk tolerance. Yes. And those people with a lower risk tolerance are the ones who watch their accounts daily. Mm. And if you watch your account daily, Oh, my goodness. You mentioned the S&P 500. What, what's the historical average just below
1: 11%? Yes. I'll take that all day long. All day. Double-digit. I tell you, it's, you're the, the name of the game for you to get out there is to learn how to make your money make double-digit interest back. Sure. Because once you really understand how compounding works, the rule of 72, you know you need to get there close to the 12 to really have, in your lifetime, money double up. Sure. right. It, Anything below that, you're just not going to live long enough.
0: Right. And, and and I'm a big believer in the S P. I, I probably have I probably have more than half of my personal assets in the S P five hundred. Right. In in index funds. But getting back to the question, if you just gotta get people off the idea of watching those accounts daily and seeing that go up and down because I just got so tired of trying to talk people off the ledge. They were wanting to bail. And um You know, what's what's the old Dave line, the only people who get hurt on a roller coaster are the ones who stand up in the middle or try and get off in the middle. You you just got to recognize, and I would tell people, listen, here's the deal. We've thought about it. We've analyzed it. We're agreeing on this. You're going to put this money here and add to it consistently over every week, every month, whatever. And you're going to leave it for five years. And then we're going to look at it again. Now we're going to check it once a year. Right. Just to make sure that, you know, if you're buying a, a blue chip equity fund, you want to compare it to other blue chip equity funds. If you're going to buy an international, same thing. And if all the internationals go down and yours goes down, okay, that's that it did what, what everybody else did. But if everybody's goes up a little bit and yours goes down, well, maybe you've got the wrong one. Right. And you have to analyze that. But by and large, you just have to have the stomach to leave it
1: alone. The one they leave alone though, the one vehicle today is that 401k. It's because it's harder to see sometimes. Not just that, but I think most people don't understand that they do and can have control over that account.
0: Well, and, and I also think they leave it alone because
1: their employer told them to. Well,
0: they, they didn't. How can I say this correctly? When when you get your paycheck, when you get a thousand dollars, and someone tells you to put one hundred and fifty over here, and you do that, you put on you put one hundred and fifty. Right. But if I take it directly out of your paycheck, you don't see it. It's kind of like taxes. Right. If if we had to walk down once a week. once a month to an IRS office and hand them the money for the income taxes, we wouldn't have income taxes in this country. No. Somebody do something about it. Yep. So the 401k kind of has that same mentality that it's not really real money because I didn't put it in.
1: When in fact they did.
0: They did. Absolutely. They did.
1: And I remember the story 60 minutes did about the 401k back when the 08, you know, meltdown happened and not all, but most people lost 50% of their portfolio. 50 sure. yep. percent it's massive because a lot of these people had their 401k for years and years and years and a lot of them on the 60 minute special was about they're they're literally grown men and women just crying like i was supposed to retire next year or two years and now i don't know when i can retire right they were really freaking out and when i say so the, the big lesson here is that like not everybody lost. So the question is, why did some people lose and some people didn't? Well,
0: it, it, you can use that example. You can go back to nine eleven. 11 After those events, the market just suddenly tanked, especially 9-11. And the people who lost were the ones who panicked and jumped out. Jumped out. But if you left it alone, I mean, what did it take nine eleven to come back to, the, to where it was, like 48 days or something like that? Right. I, I'd have to look it up to be sure. But it was it, a short time. It wasn't very long. But so many people lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. They panicked. because, Yeah. And then they, I, I I know one individual in particular that stayed out for nine years. He panicked, sold it at a huge loss uh. and then stayed out of the market for nine years. And then when it came time to start thinking about retirement, he came to me and I was no longer in the business at that point, but he came to me and said, what can I do? And we developed a strategy and he implemented it and eight years later he was able to retire. But
1: he could have retired so much better had right. he just left it alone. Because, as I like to talk, there is no more valuable asset that we have than time. Yep. Period. I don't care what you have or you think you have. Time. Again, we're only here so long on the planet. If there's a game being played. Engage in the game, learn the rules, and that's the problem. People some people don't even recognize they're playing the game the I minute mean, you start earning money, you're playing the game. Yep. Period. So learn how learn the basic rules of the game, put your money to work, be patient, and it's going to work out for you down the road.
0: Well, and and this may be a little off topic, but it's one of the big motivators that for, for me to do what I did with my children and to do what I'm what I'm doing personally is in, in doing what I do now, I work in a lot of rental homes. So I, I do a lot of work for different property managers, real estate agents like yourself. So I'll go into home and deal with a tenant who's super sweet, super nice, but I see the consequences of the decisions they've made their whole lives. Mm -hmm. And I think, but for the grace of God, go I. And if I could just show that, my my oldest son does work with me. He's got his own truck and does his own thing, so he sees it as well. And I think that's why one of the reasons he's where he's at um, financially but if I could show that to more people and just show them the consequences of our decisions, because every decision has a consequence. If if, if I make a hundred dollars and spend 102, those are my consequences. If I make a hundred dollars and I spend 85, I'm going to have different consequences. And those are the ones that I want, but I have to be able to sacrifice and be willing to sacrifice today to have that better future tomorrow.
1: Uh, let me ask you what, what do you think is your worst money decision you've ever made? Because we all make, it's an easy one.
0: Buying new cars, buying new cars. Oh my goodness. I have spent so much money on new cars again. You know, with the position I was in, I, I I was always told by upper management, I had to have a nice car, not too nice. Right. Especially I started off in Illinois in, in farm country and you had to have a nice car, but not too nice. Um, And then I I moved to to Vegas here in the early 90s, and I'm no longer in a farm community, so it's a different game. I had to have a nice car. If I was going to recruit and attract quality individuals to come work for the company, I had to basically show them what the potential was. So I was spending money. And I was I was leasing a new car every two years. And of course my wife then she thought, Well, I have to have a new car every two years. So every year we were getting a new car. One for me, one for her, one for me, one for her. And I just I think back at how much money I spent on those cars over the years, I could be worth
1: millions today. Million, right. That's a great lesson. I try to teach the youth that it again, it's the mindset of the want. Yeah right? It's the want, it's the, the phrase keeping up with the Joneses. And in your case, your boss, like there's an image. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's an image you must portray. If you're talking about money, you better have, you better look like you have a lot of it. Not, not necessarily true. I love to talk about money. I'm financially fine. I'm not a millionaire. I mean, you and I both know, I mean, the killer of, of keeping yourself in the poorhouse, so to speak is debt, right? Yes. That's a cancer. And nobody wants cancer. So for you guys out there, when you're buying these cars and you're putting yourself in debt, you're slowing down the potential growth of money that you could have put to work, right? Back to make money, make money. I think if we truly understand the concept of that at an early age, the earlier the better. But for some folks, you could be well, 40 years old till you figure it out. Sure.
0: And 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 you have to understand it because a lot of people that I meet will say, I'm going to buy a new car because I get 0% financing. Uh, and, you know, I, I share with them that, you know, I, I drove an 05 truck that was great until just a couple of years ago, not quite a couple of years ago. And then I bought a new truck, new to me. When I bought it, it had almost 12,000 miles on it. And it's still practically brand new truck. But the biggest difference was it had already taken that big first year hit in depreciation. Right. And if you can not take that depreciation hit and you can write a check to pay for it and not finance it.
1: Boom. Then you're good. Then you're golden. Yes. Right? And that's the key. Let's try to. I mean, in today's world, I get and, and that's one piece of, of of Dave Ramsey's teachings. He's extremely adverse about debt, and I get it. But also, if I listen, I like and I listen to Robert Kiyosaki. I do not mind leveraging good debt to build wealth. I don't mind it, right? I flip homes. I have to leverage debt to make money. But I'm an opinion of I'm going to totally tell people to definitely follow Dave if you're the W-2 earner because you, you're putting time in. You're trading time for money right now. And when you trade time for money, if you're not doing some sort of a side hustle or a second job, then, yes, completely stay out of debt. Um, he hates credit cards. I'm okay with cards if you are responsible. Not everybody can be responsible. Some people learn the hard way. They get a card, they rack it up, they get debt, and then it takes it years to get out of debt, and then they go, "Okay, well, I'm not going to do that again."
0: Well, the, the the card thing is is a double edged sword. Yes. Um, it it's not only that you rack up debt. It's that and and I think it was at MIT that did the study. They found that if people using credit cards spend like thirty five percent more. Yes. Than if they than if they use cash or even a debit card. And if you recognize that, and you don't overspend, yeah, maybe there's nothing wrong with using a credit card for some things and paying it off at the end of the month. You know, you, you, you put your gas on it, and then at the end of the month you pay it off. Um. You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm a big Dave guy.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I have a credit card. Yep. But I use it every once in a while. I have to make a purchase for a job, and I make try and keep you know, five, $600 in my business account. And you know, I'm bringing in money practically every day. So it, it kind of rotates. But if I have to go spend $1,200 on something for a job or $800, I might put that on a credit card. And then at the end of the day, when I get paid, pay it off, I pay it off.
1: Yep. Yep. So you're being responsible, right? It's just the folks out there. And you know the term credit cards are bad. I the term is silly because a credit card is a piece of plastic. Okay. Sure. It, the bottle of water is a piece of plastic. So is this bottle of water bad? No, it's a piece of plastic. So credit card's not bad. It's the people using them irresponsible that give you know, the credit card a bad name. So I'm with you. I'll use mine for multiple reasons. And I taught my, my, my girls that for safety reasons, I'd rather see you have a credit card for your purchases, right? It's getting to be more unrealistic to pay cash for things. And I don't think that we're going to be in a cash society for a lot longer where everything will be digital pay. Right, so then the cash is gone. Learn how to do that now. It's a psychological thing, right? They just psychologically. I got a credit card with a three thousand dollar limit. They think that's their money. It's not your money. Sure, it's not your money. That's the word. That's why they call it a credit card. They extended you credit. You are worthy of using this money. Some people only have credit cards for three hundred dollar limit. That means you're not that worthy of any more. I don't trust you with any more than three. And there's people out there that have credit cards that are unlimited, right? Get American Express black card, whatever you want. They're going to, yeah, because you've proven that you pay your bills and you make enough money. And they'll do that for you. So uh, there's a lot of people that are responsible and use their cards. I understand why Dave teaches that. He's trying to keep people out of trouble sure. because the statistics show that there's, you know, we, I think credit card debt today may be the largest debt it may have surpassed uh, school loans right now I think it's, it's, right. it's climbed over the last 12 months because of covid and everything else that it's it's horrific but at the end of the day what do people end up doing when you rack up too much credit card debt they end up just going filing bankruptcy yep. and it gets wiped out right and i share with people how do you think credit card companies make money right and most folks will tell me well, the interest they charge. They make a lot of money on interest. And I say, you know, that they're definitely making some interest on you guys. But trust me, that's not the number way they make money. The number way they the number one way is every time you swipe that card. That merchant pays them. Yep. That is how they make the bulk of their money. And so that's why they every other commercial is about a card, a credit card. Go swipe. Go swipe. And that's why they don't mind writing off those debts. Like I already made my money off you. Yeah, You swiped your butt off.
0: Yeah. Depending on the, on the card, it's two and a half to 4%. Every time you swipe it, every time you swipe it,
1: it. and that merchant pays that. And that's how they make their money. And so the people that are going bankrupt and Hey, I'm wiping out $10,000 in credit card debt. They're like, Hey, they get to write it off too. So they don't really lose. They don't really lose. They make the minute you swipe. And if you BK on them, that goes on their other sheet when they're doing their taxes We took a loss. And so they, you know, for them, they're not really losing. Yep. So just be responsible with them. I'm personally okay with them. If you are, if now some people, I know, I know of plenty of people that got in that pickle, credit card debt took whatever years to pay it off. And they're like, then they swear them off. Like, Whoa, back away. I'm not going to go down that road. Well, if you know that you're that person, then don't, don't do that. So with credit cards, again, be responsible, uh, if you, if you know, you're not good with them, don't, don't use them. Don't get them. Don't worry about it. Um, but back to the safety thing where I teach my daughters, like keep always a $20 bill in your pocket for cash because the world's getting crazy out there. Just silly. And you don't want to get robbed. And for, for ladies, your purse could just get purse snatched, right? Still, your purse and you have whatever cash that's gone. And if they get a hold of your, your credit cards, letting they rack them up, doesn't matter. It's not your money. Right. And credit card companies are insured for that kind of thing. If they get a hold of your debit card. Eh, that's a different issue. Your banks are going to deal differently with you on that. You're still going to take a loss. And at minimum, you're going to be without a card for two weeks. And you're going to fight with the bank if they took all, if they wipe you out, whoever took your card, right? Uh, because they're insured. You're insured also. It's just a real big headache to do that. It's a less of a headache if all you have is credit cards. So I've trained my daughter. She doesn't. And she, just, she gets paid. She pays it off. Every time she gets paid, paid off. It's I call it your, your anyway, spending money, food, gas, those types of things. We're spending money on that stuff anyway, just be safe about it. And something happens. You're not going to freak out like, Oh no, my account just got drained and now I got to fight with the bank, you know? And it, and it takes time. And for some people you're like, well, I don't have any other money. What am I going to do? And you get in a pickle.
0: Yeah. And, that, and that's the issue. I mean, the, the, your debit card has basically the same protections as your credit card, but you're right. You may be without that money for three days to two weeks. Yeah. And if you can't afford that, you're in trouble.
1: You're in trouble. You're all hurt. Now you got to go talk to whoever, Hey, can I borrow some money until this gets resolved kind of thing. And, and the stress that it brings to you is again, I think with money, the biggest problem is for a lot of the folks is the anxiety and stress that it brings to people and makes your life not comfortable. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, Well, Dave or Steve, thanks for coming out. You know, I think the fact that you sat your kids down finally years after you learned it, you didn't teach them when they were young, but you taught them when they were adults and they, and they took heat. It sounded like after your first meeting, they're like, they got, all right, this is going to be good. Right. And now you feel comfortable about how they're going to sit. So for you guys out there that are parents, you need to learn. If you don't know, then you learn and you need to pass this on. We need to break this chain of poverty, It'll just keep going generationally unless you get proactive. So get out there and be proactive. Um, the mindset. Again, Dave, uh, Steve talked about scarcity, right? That he still has that. And that came from childhood. That came from growing up poor. Well, think of the op- opposite spectrum where people who didn't grow up poor, they grow up spending a lot of money, you know, not kept catching up and getting ahead just because they think that's normal to spend and, and have a, a A very affluent lifestyle. So either way, thanks for coming out. Thanks for sharing for a lot of guys that are out there on my podcast, uh, hit the follow button, the like button and on the on YouTube, just uh, subscribe and hit the like button on that one also. So we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Thank you. Hey, everybody, hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed making all these episodes for you. Remember, we're just having uh, conversations with people's journey with money. And the things they did right with it, the things that did wrong with it. And uh, how, how did they really come about getting their mindset with money? So uh, every episode's different. We all have a good takeaway from them. So do me a favor, hit the like button, smash the like button and subscribe to my channel because every episode that I do is going to be different as all our journeys are different. So you guys take care and uh, we'll talk to you next week.